There we go. Hey, good morning, Ann. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Hey, thanks thanks for making that text happen and uh, shift into 7 a.m. I think we're all the happier for it. So oh, no well, well done on that. Um, so yeah, we're just going to open up this morning with Proverbs 14, 27. It talks about how um, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. So the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. And, uh, you know, fear is just, I, I think it's one of those biblical terms I, I will spend the rest of my life and probably eternity trying to fully understand what it means to fear the Lord and how fear is the beginning, that the right kind of fear is the beginning of wisdom. And as this proverb says, it, it's a, it leads us to the fountain of life. Um, but I've been thinking about it a lot, especially in light of Romans, because uh, the Bible will often contrast um, the fear of God um, with a fool. And a fool is someone who doesn't fear God, who says, you know, I think I'm doing just fine. I'm, I'm doing great the way I'm living my life. I, I don't need to fear or honor God or his way of living in the world. My way's working out just fine. And Proverbs and a lot of scripture would contrast someone who fears the Lord with a fool. A fool is someone who says, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm doing just fine on my own. And uh, so I, I think this is where Proverbs is getting at, that the fear of the Lord is not only the beginning of wisdom, but it's the fountain of life. Because when you truly fear the Lord, you recognize how far you fall short of his good standard of righteousness, which we've been talking a lot about in Romans and you, you want to run away from your foolishness. You want to run away from sin that leads to death. And you want to run to Him. And so you don't, you don't fear Him in the sense you stay away from Him. You fear Him in the sense that you recognize how far you fall short and you need Him. You need a Savior to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And so fear, um, the right kind of fear, seems to be this idea that my way is not working when I put it up against God's way and I need him and I'm going to run away from my own way of doing things and run to him and his way in Jesus Christ. And so that's how the fear of the Lord can actually draw us to the fountain of life and keep us away from the snares of death. Um, anything you guys, as you look at that proverb um, 1427 that you would add, um, thoughts on that, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll we'll jump on over to Romans five. You know, I've seen a lot of people die, and uh, the ones that have a real strong belief in Christ and fear the Lord, it is such an easy transition. But the ones who haven't, mm. they are just fighting the whole time. Mm. So it's just it just proves that scripture talks about mm. the you know the. Uh, Fear of the Lord, you know, is the kind of life and, you know, the fear of the Lord. Mm, yeah, that's a good point, Ron, as you say that. I, I wonder if maybe the difference between the two people you just described when it comes to death is, um, you know, those who fear the Lord rightly really don't have to fear anything else here on earth, right? Um, 
And, you know, in the words of, of Paul in Romans, which we'll get to in a few years, I'm sure, in Romans 8, uh, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? So to, um, yeah, out of the fear of the Lord, run to him. Uh, what else is there to fear when God is for you? What can be against you? It's good. Let me pray, um, and then let's go on over to uh, Romans 5 this morning. Father, we do. We love you, and uh, we just want to take a moment and admit our own foolishness. Um, We're born as fools. We're born separated from relationship with you. We're born thinking that our way is the right way, and... uh, Lord, we're thankful with this class right here that out of your mercy and your grace, you've shown us our own sin, you've shown us our foolishness, and have given us the opportunity to repent and turn from our own way and run to you, Jesus, out of a fear of the consequences of our sin that leads to death, but also out of just a a great uh, attraction and love for you and how good and gracious and merciful and kind and generous you are. And so I pray that that's what Romans would teach us. I pray that it would be men and women as we uh, spend time in Romans who um, run from sin, run to you, Jesus, and we find our life completely in you. Um, We thank you for your righteousness, your forgiveness, and new life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So... Romans 5, uh, just a quick summary of where we've been, um, and then we'll pick up, we'll actually read all of uh, Romans 5 together, and we'll pick up verse 12, do a quick summary on those few verses, and keep moving forward. So in Romans uh, as a whole, just the book, in chapters 1 and 2, if you remember way back when, we talked a, a lot about how you and I are sinners, we're guilty, condemned, separated from God, and, and headed towards eternal death. Uh, Paul doesn't, uh, he doesn't tread lightly on that. I mean, he comes out swinging uh, the first couple chapters that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But chapter 3, the back half of chapter 3, comes the good news that, that you and I are saved from judgment and the consequences of our sin that lead to death. We're made alive by Jesus We talked about being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So we're saved by the grace, the the goodness, the gift of God alone. He initiated this, this reconciliation, this salvation. And it's through trust in Christ and his work alone that we enjoy and receive salvation. And then chapter four, Paul kind of moved into almost like a case study, focusing mostly on Abraham, a little bit on David, um, about how you and I now have relationship with God through faith in Jesus. How does the reality of the gospel begin to really shape our lives? And now in kind of five, so chapters five through eight, um, we're going to be looking at how through Jesus and his saving work, God is at work to to kind of shape a new humanity under the headship, the leadership of Christ, our Savior. Um, and so that's that's where we're going. And uh, so would let's go ahead and read all of Romans five together. It's twenty one verses. So if somebody could maybe take a paragraph or so and then 
pass it on. Um, let's go ahead and do that. So <clears throat> Romans 5, verse 1. Uh, who's got us? I got it. All right. Uh, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith unto the grace which in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of glory. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our uh, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has uh, been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows us uh, his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if uh, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death and his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we <laughs> rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have given, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For because of one man's trespass, death reigned through um, that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase, and the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, to start this morning, we'll pick up in verse 12 and, and move forward. Um, but uh, in verses 12 through 21, I, I just want to ask you guys, what do you think is the main clear argument 
Paul is making in these verses, specifically 12 through 21. I want to maybe just start there and, and hear what you guys are seeing, what we're seeing in the text, because I find with Paul, uh, his writings, especially Romans, my brain just kind of wigs out really fast because every word matters and his his writing is like so thick and, and dense um, that by the time you read 12 through 21, your your brain starts kind of doing some circles. And But what I've found is Paul is, is really good at making one clear argument when you back up a little bit and say, well, what's Paul getting at? And I think in 12 through 21, there's there's one clear thing he wants to drive home for us um, before moving into chapter six. What, what would you guys say that is? What's that clear kind of linear thought Paul has for us in 12 through 21? I think he's saying that man is dead without Christ, that he, that, you know, we are just born sinners and that uh, the Christ is, you know, the perfect man that took, just took that one man to make things right. And it's the one man that caused the sin to all. I see um, I see that God's grace is greater than the destruction that mankind has created. Mm-hmm. That's a good that's a good line right there. Mm-hmm. Well said, Sean. Thanks. <laughs> More to look forward to here in, in about twelve minutes. <laughs> <laughs> great stuff huh yeah all right what else do you guys see 12 through 21 i ron and sean i think you guys are are saying it really well what do you what do you think i i think it's important to as i said think big picture as we zoom into these verses because there's a lot here um but what do you guys see a lot of um verbiage of trespass and free gift Mm-hmm. Going on there. Yeah. Yeah, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Mm-hmm. That's good. Dave, what do you see is the focal point of chapter five? Yeah. Uh, we're we're going to get into a little bit here, um, and John, I think John led out really well with us last week, talking about kind of some examples of headship. And so I see Paul's kind of like main argument here um, being this idea that, as Ron said, we're born sinners as a result of one man's sin. So he's he's kind of putting all the <laughs> the blame on Adam, poor Adam. Um, and we get included in that because the, the trespass, the sin of Adam has been passed down to us. Um, and so all of us are born in the family of Adam. And the family of Adam is separated from relationship with God because of sin. So because of one man's sin, we're all separated um, and in sin that leads to death. 
But because of the new Adam, because of uh, the new head of humanity, you and I have uh, this opportunity by the grace of God to transfer families, uh, to move from the family of Adam into a new family in Christ, which is um, a family of grace, our sin forgiven, and brought into relationship with God. So I think um, short and simple, it, it seems to be this, this transfer um, maybe what later on in scripture we'd call adoption, um, out of the family of sin and into the family of righteousness with Christ as the head of this new humanity, uh, this new creation. So yeah, let's, let's dig in and let's talk about it. So verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Um, so the kind of verse 12, where he's going, uh, with this is the first sin from the first human we know to be Adam opened the door for sin to enter into the, the entire house of humanity. Um, and that, that word he uses so, or the phrase, so death spread to me, it it like has this imagery as, as the door of, of sin was opened, um, it contagiously kind of infected all of humanity to come in the line of Adam. And so we've, we've talked about this and we'll continue to talk about it because it's key to Romans is um, we aren't sinners because we sin or we sin because we're sinners. Let's talk about that for a second as we move forward. Um, we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. What do you guys think about that? Thoughts, questions? Um, how do you hear that? If I think you're, I think that statement is really comparing an action versus a condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when you say we sin because we're sinners, um, to me that implies that. It's not just a single action, but it is in fact a condition. Like we, that is what we produce. An apple tree produces apples. Mm-hmm. An orange tree produces yeah. oranges. A, a person with a condition to sin who is a sinner can do nothing but produce sin. That's mm-hmm. what we do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I like that you brought in the, the tree example. To me, that's just been one of the most clarifying things. And uh, I think of the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, he goes after. Um, kind of the law in Matthew 5, um, and, and we'll go through that at some point together. But he talks about, hey, from the law, you've heard, you know, do not murder. Um, and if you murder, you'll be subject to, to judgment. But then he takes it a level deeper and he says, I tell you, don't don't just murder. What about the anger that's in your heart? And, and so Jesus, in, in many ways, is saying, hey, if you're looking at a tree visually, and you look at the branches and you look at the fruit, you know, a lot of people have just tried to say, well, as long as you don't murder, like cut that branch off, like don't murder somebody or don't. But Jesus is saying, I'm, I want to get even deeper and say, well, what is the root underneath the soil that is producing uh, the, the fruit, the ugly fruit of murder up on the tree? Well, it's, it's anger. So let's get to the root there together. And so, when we talk about uh, sin versus sins, or we aren't sinners, oh, comes Anne. 
There we go. Um, I think I think Sean's example of, of the tree is a good one for us to hold on to. That Paul's arguing, hey, it's not about cleaning up the branches. It's not about trying to get rid of sins, the um, things in our lives that visibly we can see. It's about the root, uh, the sin nature underneath that has to, there needs to be something done about that. That has to be changed in order for us to stop producing anger and murder, but instead love and joy and peace and patience. So that's, we've got to get to the root of the issue. Um, any thoughts, questions on that? Uh, Sean, I like the, the tree and the roots example. I think that's one we should keep coming back to. The uh, issue of um, death here, I think, is important. It, um, it, it implies more than just physical death. It, in the garden, there was a separation mm. from God, mm-hmm. a distance. And if you look at it from that position, um, you know, Adam lost his source of life, um, and uh, he mm. was separated from, from God. Uh, and alive to the uh, his nature, uh, his in, in a sense a new nature which was uh, that of uh, Satan, um, and certainly separation from God eventually produces physical death. Mm. But um, I, don't, I don't think to, I don't think this. Just my opinion. This is really talking so much about physical death. It is that mm-hmm. versus a separation from God, mm-hmm. and um, uh, the connection, the communication, the heart, uh, the life-giving um, relationship was um, disconnected um, mm-hmm. totally from the Father. Mm-hmm. John, do you think it would be safe to say as we look at maybe the the Genesis 3 story when God says, um, do not eat of this this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, for the day you eat of it, you will surely die, that, you know, a lot of people say, well, Adam and Eve didn't die as soon as they took of the fruit. Uh, In light of what you just said, would it be safe to say the moment they took uh, the fruit for themselves and, and ate of it, there was spiritual death. That was immediate. And then the natural consequence um, is that spiritual death or sin opened the door for the physical death to just come naturally down the road. Yeah, it's a, it's a consequence of um, uh, the, the separation because he is life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus said he came to give men life and uh, and I think it's much the same as when somebody truly believes and repents and believes in Jesus Christ. I think it's an instantaneous um, mm. re-establishing um, of a, a new life source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we don't have to work into a new life. It is given to us freely, as it says. Um, and so we are... Uh, uh, walking and working into a fullness of a new life in Jesus Christ once we uh, believe in him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just as Adam, he didn't have to work to die eventually. Um, God's work in us um, is a gift. Uh, you know, he, we certainly, mm-hmm. uh, str- you know, in a sense, struggle to grow into him because it, it does take uh, time and study and faith. Um, but I, I think the instantaneous 
death of, that Adam and Eve experiences, uh, uh, seeing it in a new way in a believing of Jesus Christ, which is by faith instantaneous regeneration of born again uh, uh, being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From a, John, from a, 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 a spiritual death at the, at the tree to a spiritual rebirth upon believing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good deal for us at free gift. Yeah. <laughs> good deal. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, Connie, you defined grace for us. I know it's in our shared document, and I, I think you use the acronym of, of God's riches at Christ's expense, right? And I forget the line you said. I'll, I'll have to look it up. But it was something along the lines of it's it's free for us, but it wasn't without cost. Is that how you said that? Yeah, I think so. Something okay. like that. Okay. Well, it was awesome when you said it. Sorry I butchered it. But, yeah. Yeah, it's a, I like <laughs> John, how you just said it. It's a pretty good deal for us. And it's cool, too, the way that you and Sean just said that of thinking about from tree to tree, right? I think in Scripture, this tree language is important. If you, if I'm reading through Acts right now, and in Acts, Peter and Paul, every time they're preaching about Jesus and they talk about how Christ was crucified, they use the language of tree. Uh, he was hung on a tree. He was crucified on the tree. And I think it's all kind of trying to pull us back to the garden and say, hey, you know, when when the first Adam made that sinful, selfish choice in the garden at the foot of the tree um, and how that meant death for us, well, guess what? There's a second Adam. There's a new human in Christ, God who became flesh, who made a different choice on a different tree. Um, and rather than selfishness, he chose selflessness And rather than death we get from Adam, we now get life um, from Jesus. And so if you read through Acts, it it just seems like they want us thinking about this tree because at the foot of a tree, two very different things happen from the beginning of the story all the way to Jesus. Um, And so this this is where Paul's going in in 12 through 21 is, is once again, I'm just finding in Scripture over and over, before us is lay uh, two choices, uh, to choose death or to choose life, to choose to continue in our life in Adam or to choose new life in Christ, to recognize that, that our own sinfulness, our own sin nature uh, is leading us to death and um and not only leading us to, to physical death, but actually we are born, as, as John just said, dead, separated from our source of life in Christ. And uh, we have the choice to look to the cross and say, I, I want to be a part of that family. I like that tree. I don't like the first tree uh, that I chose and Adam chose. I like the cross, that tree where my Savior died for me. And I choose to look to that tree and to my Savior um, and what he did there. So that's that's where Paul is, is going. And I like what you guys are saying is, is this is all a gift and it's a good deal for us, right? What would you guys say? I, I want to ask this question because I think it's important as we move into this. Uh, what would you say to the person who says, that's not fair? Um, Adam's choice. I, I wasn't there. I would have chosen differently. How come I'm born in sin when Adam made the choice? 
Uh, have you guys ever been asked that or have we ever thought that? I know I have more than a few selfish moments in my own life. What would you guys say to that if somebody said, well, that's not fair. I was born into sin. I didn't make that choice. The parent response, life's not fair. (laughs) Deal with it. Cry me a river, build a bridge, get over it. Yeah. What were you going to say, Rob? I think it's a real arrogance on the person's part that would say that, that, you know, because the fact that they, they do sin, Mm -hmm. just by not acknowledging they're sinning, they are sinning. Hmm. Well, it's all, it's all, it's also like saying you can't choose the family that you're born into, but what you make out of your life is what makes the difference. Mm-hmm. So it's the choices you make yourselves what mm-hmm. makes the difference at this point. So. Yeah. Why do you think, and I think that's a good point. Why do you think we have such a hard time with that? Like, cause, cause we can get that, like your example, Anne, of like, I didn't choose the family I was born into, whether it was good or bad, but it, it happened. I can accept that. But when it comes to, I was born into a, a family of sin, um, that is spiritually dead. I can't accept that. I have a hard time with that. Why is that hard for us? I think we're I think trying to because we don't want to be associated with you know, the unrighteousness of people. Mm-hmm. We see our, we put ourselves on a better, uh, on up in a pedestal, I would think. We, we, a lot of times we see ourselves better than other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's how we look at ourselves. Basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I, I want to share this example and then Sean, I'm going to hand it on over to you and, and go hang with Finn. But, um, you know, I, I think a really beautiful picture of this in the Old Testament is the story of David and Goliath, um, which, by the way, we, we, yeah, we've butchered this story because we like to take so much credit and we kind of turn it into like, what are the Goliaths in your life that God's calling you to, to slay? Sure. You know, that's, that's a good, you know, it's good application. Um, but I think the the heart of the story is it's pointing forward to Jesus as our representative. So as Paul here in Romans is talking about, Adam was our first representative, but through the free gift of God, we can have a new representative. I think David's a great picture of that. So it's this very unique story in, I think, 1 Samuel 16 or 17, where the Philistines are this huge, um, terrifying army coming up against Israel, the people of Israel. And there's this giant, nine feet tall Goliath who says, hey, we can do this two ways. The Philistines, we can come in and wipe you guys out. Or I like to, I like hand-to-hand combat. Um, you choose somebody from your army who will fight me. And if I win, then you guys will be our slaves. If he wins and defeats me, then we'll be your slaves. And so it's this, rather than two armies clashing there's a representative from each military or each nation. Um, and that's, that's really what Goliath is inviting <laughs> the Israelites into because he just wants to destroy somebody. Um, and it's in that moment that out of faith and trust, right, David steps up and says, I'll do it. And uh, I think it's such a picture of, um, for us, like, as, as we're looking at the story of David and Goliath, I think too often 
we put ourselves in the shoes of, of David and say, well, that's what I would have done. You know, I would have, by faith, taken up the sling and taken down Goliath. And, and uh, in Christ, with a lot of faith, maybe, <laughs> you know. Um, but the reality is, is you and I are actually the, the military that the Israelites on the sidelines just hoping and cheering David on, hoping he wins. Because as he goes toe-to-toe with Goliath, how that fight goes down is the difference between us being a free people or an enslaved people. And so we looked at David and we say, if you win, we're free. If you lose, we're slaves. And in the same way, we look to Jesus and we say, I didn't create my own freedom, but because of Christ as my representative, um, I'm no longer a slave. Uh, I'm free in him because he went toe-to-toe with sin, Satan, and death itself on the cross and through the resurrection. And now I have life because he's my representative. He's my David, my greater David. Um, And so Adam was our first representative, and he lost. Uh, He lost to sin, temptation, and we lost with him. And then we look to Jesus, and we get to win with Jesus. Um, Any thoughts on that as you guys process that? I I think we've thoroughly, I hope, have thoroughly beat this idea. (laughs) We can probably move forward uh, into the rest of Romans 5. But, Sean, what are your thoughts? And then from there, uh, I'll hand it on over to you. Uh, I just, I I would like to look at it from, um, um, we see chapter 5 is a comparison. Mm-hmm. A constant comparison between mm-hmm. Adam and Jesus. And I, I would like to spend a few minutes maybe talking through some of those comparisons that maybe even Paul doesn't quite bring up, but that he implies. Mm-hmm. And so my question to the class is, is, what are some of the comparisons you see between Adam and, and Jesus? Each Each step from from about... 12 on, you see Paul making a comparison between Adam and Jesus. And I wanted to talk a little bit about maybe what those comparisons are, just to maybe drive it home a little bit more. And I think it'd be a great summary to five. Mm -hmm. Okay, I would say that uh, through Adam, um, his disobedience, uh, you know, we were made, we were all made sinners. And with Jesus, his act of obedience to God, uh, made us all righteous. Okay. What else do you guys see? That's because of um, one man's uh, one man's uh, sin caused death, and one man's death created a uh, remission for our sin. Yeah, that's good. That's really good, you guys. I see. Um, I see. I'm going to go through a few here, uh, uh, kind of chronologically as Paul lays them out, and then I want to move over to maybe a, some some implications that Paul has between Adam and Christ too. Um, we see in verse 17, we see that death reigns through Adam's trespass, but life reigns through the gift of Christ and His righteousness. In verse 18, we see condemnation came in Adam. But justification in life comes in Jesus. Um, you guys both said, uh, verse 19, Adam's disobedience made us sinners. And Jesus' obedience made us righteous. 
Do you guys remember what the term righteous and justification mean? We went through these uh, maybe a couple of months ago, so it's been a while. Justification means uh, to acquit, to declare righteous, to declare righteous. Okay. Okay. And, and Ron, what, do you remember what righteous means? Righteous means to be, I believe, to be um, pure in the eyes of God. Yeah, and right standing in God, right? Right standing in front of God. And so the, the comparison is Adam brought condemnation. So we're condemned, right? Uh, Paul talks about us being an enemy of God naturally. And so through Adam, we're an enemy of God, but through Christ, we are justified and made righteous. Do you guys see that? Okay. In verse 20, we see the law increases trespass, but we see that grace abounds even more. We talked about that a little bit earlier, how, how the, 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 the combination of the world's sin in, in any, in, um, in any, any way it's multiplied, great God's grace abounds even more. And I think it paints a picture of how, um, how forgiving and how gracious God is. And, and all we have to do is, is trust him, right? That's the gospel. We need to trust in God. Uh, verse 21 said, sin reigns and that leads to death, but grace reigns through righteousness leading to life through Jesus. And so those are some of the comparisons. But I want to move to um, maybe some implications of, of comparisons between Adam and Jesus, maybe to help uh, find some of the theology from Genesis to, to Romans. Adam, and I want you guys to help me with this, Adam was given authority over all of creation. Do you guys remember that in Genesis? You guys remember God, God uh, um, uh, said, be fruitful, multiply, fill, and subdue, right? Okay. And, and Jesus was given authority all, over all of creation. So we see when it talks about Adam being a type um, and comparing both Jesus and Adam, we see that both were given authority. One failed, one succeeded. One was, one was perfect, one failed. The man's side failed. We were given authority over all of creation, and we, and we, and we blew it. And so Adam caused all of mankind to be infected with sin. But Jesus gave mankind the opportunity to be forgiven. Um, through Adam, disobedience leads to death. Um, through Jesus, obedience to God leads to life. We talked a little bit about life and death um, beforehand. John, would you say that this is the same death you're speaking of as a, a spiritual death? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I, I do have a question down the road, though. Do you want to ask it now? Well, I think it's it's um, it may have to wait till next week because it's in thirteen, verse thirteen. So, um, okay. Um, well, let me finish this, and then maybe we can move to thirteen. Um, <clears throat> so, in the garden, it says that we gave authority over to Satan, but Jesus took the authority back from Satan. I want to talk real quick about how we gave authority to Satan. For our Genesis folks, do you guys remember how that took place? Do you guys remember the story?
Genesis 3, it was pre-fall. What did we do that gave authority over to Satan? So, <clears throat> just before the tree, God told us, do not eat of this, right? And what did we do? We decided to, Satan came along and said that God's hiding something from you. God's not telling you everything. And if you eat of this, you'll be like God. And so by doing that, God, uh, we gave authority over to Satan. We listened to Satan rather than to God. And what does God say? He says, who, uh, he says, um, uh, who told you you were naked? And, and essentially he's saying, who are you listening to? Are you listening to me or are you listening to somebody else? And so by listening to Satan, we gave authority over Satan. And, 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 and through that came death, the, the, the message of five. And Jesus took that authority back from Satan by, by dying on the cross. He put an end to death. Death no longer has reign over us. And we see back in um, the early part of five how it says that death reigned from Adam to Moses. Actually, I think that's uh, 14, John, just a little past what you were talking about. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, yet life came from Christ. Um, John, would you like to talk about 13? Yeah, can you tell me what it means? I, uh, I'd like to hear what you this – is, this, this verse has always kind of confused me, and I'd um, uh, like to see what your thoughts – everybody's thoughts are on that. Yeah, sure. Um, so <clears throat> sin being a transgression from the law or any directive from God, right, would be considered law. It was in the world before the law or the written directive was given to mankind. The question is, I'm going to turn that back around. How was, if there was no law given until Moses, how then was there sin? I think I, I really think that's the question you are asking. Am I correct? Well, I think my question is, but sin was not counted where there is no law. What does that mean? Okay. My my um, footnotes it says that until the law, this is until the law of Moses was given, sin was not imputed, means to charge to one's account as by an entry and made in a ledger. In other words, sin was present in the world from Adam to Moses, but God did not keep an account of sins before giving the law because there was no law to obey or disobey. Okay, so if there's no sin, there should be no death. Right, it's a great point. So then how did death reign from Adam to Moses if there was no sin? Because they, they were, they, they had they from the tree of knowledge, and they knew once they took it by they became knowing of right and wrong. And so, therefore, when they knew again that they were, their eyes were open to all things, and so therefore they knew the difference between the right and wrong. Even though there was not a law, their conscience knew, and I think that that's what you know, what God gave them. And that's right. <clears throat> so you're referencing, Ron, you're referencing Romans uh, 2.15, 
where it talks about um, that the the law was written in the hearts of mankind, even though they didn't have the written law or the Mosaic law, right? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. So, my question, John, I, I I'd like to ask: um, Do you think Paul is saying that sin was not counted? where there is no law, that sin was not counted between Adam and Moses? Or do you think he's saying that because of the death, um, it's evident that there was no sin, even though there was no law? You know, Paul will sometimes um, kind of flip the, flip the argument upside down. And I think that's what he's doing here. I think what he's saying is just because there was no law doesn't mean there wasn't sin. And the evidence of that is death. We see death all the way from Adam to Moses. And so I believe what Paul's doing here is saying, look, if you think just because there was no law, remember he's talking to the Jews. If you think there was no law um, and because there was no law, there was no sin, then death is the evidence of that sin all the way from Adam to Moses. I believe that's what Paul's saying. Does that make sense, John? I'm still not clear on that. Um, honestly, I, this, this passage has always befuddled me. Um, and I just can't wrap my head around this, uh, this verse, these two verses, actually. Um, okay. You know, counted is the same thing, uh, same word is, you know, used in, in Paul's uh, writings as um, count yourself dead into sin, you know, reckon yourself to sin. So, but sin is not reckoned where there is no law. And so um, it, it appears that um, he, he's either talking, he, you know, you got to go back and say, well, what happened with Cain and Abel? Was that, was that not counted against him because there was no law? Certainly there was. It was counted against. Yeah, exactly. And so um, that's the argument, you know, if there was, if it wasn't counted, if there's no if there's no law, um, is it that uh, God didn't write that down in His book, you know, or, or you know, say you know He killed him, you know? Uh, what does that mean? And I, I just, I've never really understood this passage. I, I think the I think the pivotal word between thirteen and fourteen is yet, where it says yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. I think Paul's making the argument, um, again, that, that, that just because there was no written law, because remember, Paul's talking to the Jews, right? He just came out of the conversation with the Jews, or he's, he's in the conversation with the Jews, saying, you guys think that righteousness comes from the law. I'm here to show you that sin uh, is shown by the law. And so he says, actually, let's, let's just read 13 and 14 again real quick, if you don't mind. Nice. For sin, yes. Okay, um, like before the law, like like with Adam, there was like really no real awareness of what sin is, and so. I mean, I don't think that that's true, Anne. I think that Romans two fifteen makes it pretty clear that whether Jew or Gentile, that the the law of God or the 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 yeah the law of God was written on our hearts: don't steal, don't murder, those kinds of things. Yeah. Well, what I was trying to get at was that maybe that was the wrong word that I chose, and like not having a real awareness of what, or awareness of 
and understanding of what sin is like Adam until, you know, mm-hmm. they chose to eat out of the, you know, tree of knowledge of good and evil and, you know, find out what sin is. And so that was before the law, but after the law, God gave Moses the commandments like, do not do this, do not do this, do not do this. So that became like a guideline or, or um, it shows us basically what our sins are, what sin is and not to do, but man continued to do it anyway. So mm-hmm. having the awareness or the understanding of what sin is, but man continued to do it. Yeah, I think uh, verse 20, I think verse 20 summarizes that perfectly what you just said it says now the law came in to increase the trespass yeah to show how how much man failed is that what you're trying to say yeah yeah cool okay john going going back to 13 and 14 i want to read it real quick um and keep in mind and i know you know this but paul will frequently turn the argument upside down uh in order to almost to say this is silliness um it can't be so And so 13 says, for sin was indeed, uh, sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Okay. But sin is not counted where there is no law. So I think he's talking, saying that, that there is, there is, um, that there was no written law at that point. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So we know that um, from Adam to Moses, there was sin. And I remember the Jews are, are, are hanging on to the law. That's, that's their, that's their, their focal point is the law. And, and by suggesting that obedience to the law would bring righteousness, Paul's flipping that upside down saying, look, there's no sin if there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. So Paul's saying there had to be sin. There was no question there was sin because death still reigned. And so I don't think Paul's saying that there wasn't sin. I think Paul's saying exactly the opposite, that death proves that there was sin from Adam to Moses. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm hearing you, but what I don't understand is the sin is not counted where there is no law. Um, and what does it mean to be counted? I mean, certainly you look at Cain, he was marked um, on the forehead and he was terrified that men were going to kill him. So there was an evidence of, of wrongdoing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm struggling with the idea that, and I'm, I'm probably totally off, is that, that there was sin um, but it was, um, uh, I, I don't understand why it, how it says not counted where there is no law. In other words, it sounds like, um, that if there is no law, there is no record or evidence, not evidence, record, um, of, of sin or the sins. Um, and, and we know that there, there is sin in the world. And as you talked about, sin produces the fruit of sin, which is what Cain did. Um, but uh, in, in God's reckoning there, um, I just don't understand that passage. And 
maybe maybe I, I, I won't ever, but I don't know. Yeah, it, it seems like you're seeing it as Paul is saying that that from Adam to Moses, God was not counting sin. Is that kind right. of what you're implying? See, I don't see the, yeah, I, that's what it, it, it says, but it, I, I, I know that it's not right in, in right. that my understanding is not right, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. We may have to spend a little bit more time on this next week, John. I don't know that I'm doing an adequate job explaining my thoughts, um, and I might need to think through them a little more. Um, but I don't think Paul is saying that uh, sin is not counted or it wasn't counted at that point. I think what he's saying is that the evidence of death shows that sin is counted, even though there was no written law. Do, do you want to do you want to maybe um, let, let, let me let me think through a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit clearer way of saying it. Um, or explaining it. Um, I don't know that I'm doing an adequate job of that. Well, it, I don't think it's your fault at all, Sean. Um, it's just my understanding because I've wrestled with this passage for a long time, and I just, I just can't reconcile what the Word of God says there with with the um, and, and maybe it's it's my lack of understanding of the Jewish mindset that mm-hmm. uh, prevents me from kind of you know, grasping the meaning of this. This, this verse, and, and also I don't want to bog down the study um, based on this. The, if everybody else is understanding it, I'd like to move on, you know, because um, I'll, I'll probably struggle with this until I talk to Moses. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping I could do a good enough job, but I'm... But <laughs> to me, just like Moses, Sean, just, you know, right there. I, Connie, I knew you were on my side. I so appreciate that. <laughs> What's it? My, my, my thank you. That God will not. God did not hold the sin against them. Um, you know that would not go account against them. I guess in some ways, how we're we, again it brings it back where Christ, um, when man's uh, has has turned it around for us that our sins now are no longer. Uh, Counted against us, there, there, as far as the east is from the west. But that, to me, begs the question: Did the did these folks seek forgiveness for when they did they know about forgiveness? Did they know about sacrifice before Moses? We know they did, did uh, because we know that they did because of of. of the sacrificial atonement system that was set up that they, they had to know that they were sinning. Um, and there are, there are atonements for sins that you're not aware of, but we know that there was, there was a, an atonement system set up pointing us to Christ from, from the very beginning. We see it even in the garden, right? We see, um, we see God providing Adam and Eve attempting to cover their sin with, with fig leaves, yet what did God do? God covered them with skins, and those skins had to come from animals. We see from the very beginning an atonement. So I think sin was, people were aware of sin from beginning to end. Um, 
John, it's entirely possible that, that, that I am seeing this incorrectly, um, but I don't see how the idea that sin was not counted from Adam to Moses as a theological consistent. I, I, I don't see how that, can, that could make sense in the scope of the totality of Scripture. And I think that's probably what you're struggling with. Am I right? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm struggling with. And um, so I, I'll do some work, uh, and I'll make Connie your disciple do some work with me. And uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll carry on here on that. No, that that's good. And, John, you know, I would love to, if you're okay with it, and I won't put you on the spot, but if you're okay with it, maybe um, over the next week, a little bit of homework for you to come back and, and share with us what you found. And I would like to do the same because I, I, I'll be honest, I haven't spent a ton of time in this. I just, as we just discussed, I just don't think that that's a theological consistent, that there was no counted sin between Adam and Moses. Yeah, I agree with you there for sure. And, um, so um, I think that um, Paul is probably smarter than all of us put together. And there's an issue. I, yeah. I think at some, some level it has to do with the, the Jewish thought uh, here that I'm just not capturing, but uh, we'll do some homework. Well, I appreciate that. So uh, maybe next week uh, give us what you come up with. You okay with that? Yeah. Connie and I will get on. Very cool. Thanks so much. Could I get somebody to pray for us? It's 8.01. I got to head to work here real soon. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the study, Lord. I thank you for um, using the uh, folks to bring it out, Lord. And I thank you for the scriptures that teach us what it is that uh, we need you to do, Lord. And I just uh, pray blessings upon each of these uh, people on this study today that you would get them a good day and a safe day and uh, bring us back next week. And I pray. Amen. 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 Hey, real quick before you guys go, John, I want to, I want to maybe share this with the class as well. I don't want, I know that there's going to be some, some theological disagreements or, 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 or uh, tension. And I don't ever want anybody to feel like they can't bring those up. Because there's some things that we're just not going to get to the bottom of. We're just not going to understand. And it's okay to chew through those. And so if there's anything in here or in the future that, that folks feel like they, they're not understanding or that might cause some tension in the class, still, please bring them up. Let's talk through them. I think it helps each one of us grow. That's good. Cool. Good night, guys. Or good day.